Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back. It is Wednesday, January the 4th, 2023, and what a joy it is to be with you all this morning. I hope that everybody's week is just progressing nicely and your new year is progressing nicely right along with it. It's good to be back with you today. Thank you so much. So many of you um, offered um, kind encouragement and, and, and warm words of congratulations for our anniversary yesterday. We did not, in fact, go to the Waffle House. Um, you should know that by virtue of me appearing before you right now that I didn't take my wife to Waffle House for our anniversary. But nevertheless, it was a very good day. So thank you for those kind words. Um, it's great to be back with you. And, and I say also um, so many of you comment and that's wonderful but I know a lot a lot of you are watching and do not comment but I appreciate you all so much being a part of this time with us too yesterday in fact I got a text message from a very very good friend of mine Will Anderson um, you know every once in a while and Will um, is a U.S. Army chaplain and now he's down in North Carolina he was up in Alaska for Old Providence people that's my good friend that I went to visit Ooh, not this past October I guess it was the one before but anyway Will is one of those kindred spirits that that comes along every once in a while in life that you just know and and uh, you, you just click with so I'm very appreciative of him and uh, and his friendship but Nevertheless, it is good to be with you guys this morning, and thank you for being here. Now, we're going to pick up where we left off yesterday. Surprise, surprise, that's almost always what we do. We're just making our way through the gospel according to John. But where we come to today is a transition in chapter 17. Remember, chapter 17 is called many things. It's commonly referred to as the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. It is this prayer that he lifts up just prior to his arrest, his subsequent uh, crucifixion and then his resurrection and his, then his ascension. In essence, what Jesus is doing here is he's taking on that third office. Okay, remember, we follow a savior of three offices he is a prophet, he is a priest, and he is a king, right? So, I, I should say he's taking on that second office and functioning as our high priest. And this is very important, y'all. One of the arguments, um, the book of Hebrews, all right, let me back up a little bit. The book of Hebrews is uh, on in the New Testament, right? But it's written to a group of people who are predominantly Jewish that have become Christian, but they've come under persecution. And so basically the question they're asking each other is, um, you know, <clears throat> when we didn't follow Jesus and we were just regular old Jews, we didn't have to worry about all this persecution, first from our family, then from the government, all these different things. So why don't we just forget about Jesus and go back to being regular old Jews? The author of Hebrews then embarks on this sermon slash treatise, right, where he's, he's very just vehemently going against this idea. And it's not because Judaism is horrible per se. It's just that Jesus is so much better. And you can't have both. You, you can't turn your back on Jesus. He says you'll be guilty of crucifying him all over again. But his argument that he makes is he compares Christianity to Judaism. And one of the areas that he compares Christianity to Judaism is in is the fact that Jesus is our high priest. He talks about the high priest selection process under Judaism and how it's just men that make this decision. And then it doesn't matter who they decide before that high priest can intercede for anybody. 
he's got to make sacrifice for his own sin. So what Paul is saying, or not Paul, the author of Hebrews is saying there is, do you want to go back to this? This is what you desire? A high priest that, that isn't sinless himself? Instead, he points to Jesus. And in Romans, Paul says that Jesus is seated at God's right hand right now, interceding on our behalf. We have a perfect high priest in Jesus. But where we come to today, yesterday we finished the section where Jesus was praying for his disciples about his desire, not that they come out of the world, but instead that they stay in the world and that they be united. This is the first hint of how important unity is in Jesus's high priestly prayer. You're going to hear much, much more about it. In fact, you're going to hear about it today because of all the things that Jesus could pray for, for his people. First off, he says, don't take them out of the world, leave them in the world, give them strength that they would be in the world, but not of the world and unite them together. Now I'm getting ahead of myself. That's what he said concerning his disciples there in time and space. But today, where we're picking up is exciting because as I alluded to yesterday, Jesus says in verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe. You know who that is? If you're trusting in Jesus Christ alone, it's you. It's me. It's all Christians across all time. And what Jesus prays for is something we really ought to pay attention to. It is our Lord's desire for us. So, Let's pray, and then we'll dig in. Father, please be with us now. What a blessing it is to have this time together. And yet, as we enter into this time, we face a deficit. We need you. We need the power of your Holy Spirit and his illuminating light uh, to blaze forth, to show us the way forward, that we would understand your word, yes, that we would apply your word even more so. So please, guide us now, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Now, before praying, I already said it, I already read verse 20, but realize who Jesus is praying for. Pick up in verse 20 with me of John 17. Jesus prayed, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Now, not only does Jesus indicate who he's praying for at this point, this transition has been made, no longer focusing on what had happened, right, with his disciples on, like we talked about yesterday, how he kept them, right, and it was only Judas, the son of perdition, that was lost, and that was to fulfill prophecy. He's shifted away from what has happened, and now he is shifting to what is happening and is going to happen, but a little tidbit is in there that's very important for us to realize. Again, he said, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Now, what Jesus has done here is he's shown us the substance, the, the tangibility of what our belief ought to be based in. Namely, belief in Christ should not be based on the things of the world. Belief in Christ should not be based on just logical conclusions that you draw. Y'all, real belief in Jesus must be based on the real message of Jesus. I had a discussion with somebody not too long ago about this, about the concept of the faith community in the United States. And the reality is, is that there was a time, okay, and it's been a long time ago, really has, if we're honest about it. We pretended that it, that it was more recent, but it's been a long time since there's been a cohesive community of faith in the United States, right? 
No, I'm not talking about theological scruples that we may have with one another. How Baptists don't believe in infant baptism and how Methodists have this idea of provenient grace. And then you got the Lutheran thing with communion. And then we can go down the line. Um, the more charismatic churches uh, emphasize the Holy Spirit more. I'm not talking about theological differences here, y'all. What I'm talking about is this business that Jesus has indicated that will believe in me through their message. One of the biggest problems with the faith community in the United States is that it's not a community anymore. Why? Because you have mainline denominations, okay? And I'm talking about major, big denominations. I'm not talking about little churches scattered here and there that believe in wacky stuff. No. I'm talking about whole sections of Christianity in the United States that have rejected the message of God's word. Now, they may call themselves churches. They may have somebody that's in a robe or in a nice suit or whatever that stands behind what looks like a pulpit on Sunday morning. Yeah, all the things down the line that looks like churches. But y'all, what Jesus is doing here is he's indicating the basis of belief in him, and it is the word of God. It is the message of the apostles that is dictated in God's word. That's what he's talking about. And let me tell you something. If a group of people reject the word of God and reject the Jesus of the Bible, guess what? They're not in community with anyone of faith because that faith cannot be genuine. Um, again, the discussion that I had with somebody two days ago. Yeah, it was Monday. It was Monday was was over this entire issue and, and, and how to explain how to understand. And I eventually came around to say, listen, if people don't believe the Jesus of the Bible, if they reject the teaching of God's word, they don't believe in the same Jesus that you believe in. Do you realize? And y'all, that, that applied to obviously that conversation I was having with that individual, but it applies to you and me as well. And I'm not trying to be divisive, but y'all, our unity can only be based on where our faith starts. And if the beginning of our faith differs, and if one group accepts God's word and has a high view of scripture and the other group denies the truth of God's word and denies the Jesus of the Bible, any sort of unity that you put together is going to be contrived, right? It's not going to be genuine. It's going to fall apart because the basis is not the same. And Jesus, again, he lays the basis down for who he's praying for. It's for those who have accepted the teachings of his apostles, for those who have accepted God's word. That's why, again, author of Hebrews, right? He's writing to God's people um, that are considering abandoning Christ. And he talks about the fact that in the beginning, um, God spoke through prophets, angels, all these different things. But now he's spoken through his son. Now he's spoken through his apostles. We have his word. And if you reject that, he says, how can you ignore such a great salvation? I believe that's Hebrews chapter two. Um, the author of Hebrews, and forget about the author of Hebrews. It's God's word. God breathed out the book of Hebrews. But the author of Hebrews equates the teachings of God's word to our salvation. And you can't have one and reject the other. That's just the way it goes. So Jesus begins by setting that precedent, by laying that truth down, by saying who he is praying for. And who he's praying for are those who have faith in him, not some created Jesus that the world has put together, some, some light in the shoe, 
quasi savior that was really more of a brilliant teacher and, and good man and all this other stuff, the garbage that the world tries to sell you. Not that. Jesus says he is praying for those who have accepted the message of the apostles, who have accepted his word and have placed their faith in them. Now, that's who he's praying for. And what is he praying for them? And if you're trusting in him alone, that means you and that means me. So we could ask, really, what is Jesus praying for us? Verse 21, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Pause right there. Y'all, there are so many passages that we could turn to that point to Jesus's heart, that show us why Jesus did what he did. There are many passages that we could go to that really put together what Jesus's desire is for his people, you know, being the salt of the earth, lights in the world, all of those different things. But I challenge you to find a more concise expression of what Jesus really wants than verse 21. But realize what he said here. Of all the things that Jesus could pray for for his people, right? And remember, he's about to be arrested. He's about to be crucified. He's about to rise again from the dead. And he's about to ascend back into heaven. Of all the things that Jesus could pray for, he prays that you and I would be one. Why? Well, he even gives us the why. Verse 21 again, that all of them may be one, Father, as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Do you see the gravity of what Jesus has just revealed? What Jesus has just asked for? What Jesus has just said, the implications of this is that the way the world will know that Jesus is authentic, the way the world will understand that Jesus really is the Savior for all mankind, the evidence that will convince the world that Jesus is genuine and true is our unity together. Now, at first glance, you may say, well, well, that, that's nice. But when you survey Christianity in America, my goodness, y'all, we got some problems. We've got some real significant problems that <clears throat> move beyond the term problem. Problem is, you know, indicating something that has just gone awry. No, no, we've got some breakdown over this. And if we need to find a reason why people are rejecting Jesus, why Christianity continues to fall apart, you know, never has there been such a large presence of Christianity um, in the United States at one time. And yet, what is this Christianity that's peddled? You got these mega churches out there that are preaching easy believism. They're not telling anybody the truth. They're just telling people what they want to hear. They themselves are the signs of the end times. Um, and ironically, some of these preachers, and I use that term loosely, all they talk about is the end times. And they don't realize that they themselves are the fulfillment of end times because they're the false prophets that tickle people's ears. 
You've got that. You've got liberalism and Christianity. My goodness, how many churches? And this is no longer something that happens in New York City or that happens in California. It's here. It's in Virginia. It's in South Carolina. It's in Georgia. It's, it's everywhere in the Western world. Liberalism, a low view of Scripture saying, we know the Bible says this, but we can explain it away this way. It is absolutely devouring Christianity. And if you want to wonder why the church is dying in so many places, it, it, it's because there's no unity. And the reason there's no unity is because so many people don't really believe in the Jesus of the Bible. So many people, <clears throat> excuse me, have rejected the truth of God's word. But there's a very practical side to this as well. <clears throat> Not only does this have to do with evangelism, there are other reasons that Jesus has, uh, that his desire is that we would be made one. Remember what he's just been talking about. He's just finished praying about his disciples there in time and space, how the evil one is going to try to destroy them, how the world has rejected them because they're not of the world, how it's going to be difficult, how there's going to be pain. And, and y'all, when we're united together, we face this together. But when we're not united, we're just out there alone. And we're easy prey for the evil one. So of all the things that Jesus could pray for, for his people, I, genuinely, I can't think of a better thing for him to pray. But also at the same time, if you're wondering what's going on, this is it. He continues, verse 22. Jesus said, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity. Again, he gives it again to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Do you see what Jesus has done? He has upped the ante here. He said, not only will the world know that I'm genuine, he says that the way that you and I are united together will also show the world how much God loves the world. And doesn't that make sense? Because, y'all, it is in our unity with one another that we put one another first. It is in our unity with one another that we sacrifice for one another. It is in our unity with one another that we show the world who is wandering and wandering in darkness, who is groping for meaning, it is in our unity that we show the world what is true and what is genuine. The one thing that the world can never, ever provide is what we're supposed to have and what we're supposed to be, and it all hinges on our unity. The only way the world will know that God loves them is in our love for one another. And doesn't that make sense? If you skip from John to 1 John, we find out that we love, but only because God first loved us. Our message should be, look at our love for one another, how we love each other. It's Acts chapter 2, where the people on the outside looked at the church on the inside, and their number was added to daily because of the fellowship they saw, because of the genuineness they saw. And our message to the world should be, yes, we do this, but not because of us, because of God in us. And you can have this too. And yet, if we go around with a sourpuss on, right? You know, if we, <clears throat> if we go around looking like we've just been baptized in vinegar, like our best friend just died, like, like we ran over our dog on the way into work that morning. It, 
if we go around instead of being joyous we're territorial instead of being forgiving we hold grudges instead of relying on god we rely on the conventions of this world if we do that we can say whatever we want to say but talk is cheap and the world knows it jesus desire is that we would live genuine lives verse 24 father i want those who you have given me to be with me where i am and to see my glory the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world now this is where we're gonna pick up tomorrow because yet again jesus is back on this issue of glory but our challenge for today and i would challenge you to do this examine yourself and examine your life examine what church you're a part of and no i'm, I'm not this is not about old providence per se or anything like that but y'all really <clears throat> examine whether or not you're a part of a bible believing church really and truly and no a bible believing church is not just constituted in people that are members of that church that believe in the bible if you have someone who the apostle paul would tell you to excommunicate from the church behind the pulpit if you're part of a denomination that is apostate and that's a big word for saying doesn't believe in jesus and rejects the truth of god's word you don't have a church and if you don't have a church you're never going to do what jesus prayed for here y'all jesus loved the church enough to die for the church you're called to be a part of it and not only out of duty but out of privilege so examine your life if you are serious about what jesus is doing here and if you're in a church that isn't really a church that rejects god's word or is part of a denomination that rejects god's word get out because it ain't a church it's a synagogue of satan the shattered image of god is the perfect image of satan but examine your life as well this is not about just where you attend church this is about your relationships with one another it's about how you forgive it's about the inclination of your heart and i say that to myself doubly really i do too much is riding on our unity for us to fiddle with this if the world is only going to know that god loves them if the world is only going to know that jesus is genuine through us being united together not just willy-nilly but being united together based on the message of his word then we got work to do y'all and with that i'll close father thank you for your word that you have given us the basis through jesus christ through your word of why and how we should be united help us to ask the tough questions and sometimes those tough questions are questions of just suspicion that need confirmation somebody and i don't know I genuinely, Father, you know my heart on this. I don't know where people are in, in, that are listening to this as far as their church affiliation goes. I don't even know if they go to church anywhere. A lot of them. I, I know that some of them do, but I, I don't know who all finds this or where. I don't know what you're going to do with this in the next 10 years. That's your business. It's not mine. But nevertheless, Father, I, I pray if there's somebody here that's part of a church and they suspect that their pastor doesn't really believe God's word, or if they're part of some denomination that they know rejects God's word, give them the courage to ask difficult questions and give them the courage to leave. Because the only sacred place is where people who know you are gathered and where the word is preached faithfully. 
But besides that, Father, let us all look at our lives. Let us examine our interaction with one another and the inclination of our hearts. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Now, I say that because I'm headed down to South Carolina just after this this morning. Um, Y'all know my dad, uh, open heart surgery. I'm going down there to help out. I'll be back Saturday, so Lord willing, I'll be at Old Providence Sunday morning, and I think I've got the technology figured out, so we should be back streaming Sunday morning at 10 a.m., but Lord willing, I'll be with you from uh, Cashville, South Carolina tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. I see Alice, good morning, and then there's Becky and Christine and Rose and the other Becky and Elizabeth, and amen indeed. Thank you so much, Christine. Blessings to all of you, and Lord willing, we'll see you soon.